Welcome to my new BFF, a part of the Black Love Podcast Network. I am Cody Lane Oliver, co-creator of Black Love with my husband, the other co-creator. And I'm joined here today by someone I know and love who, like, frankly, kind of is my BFF. Okay, don't tell her, but she's my BFF. It is my mom. My mom, Renee Higginbotham Brooks who actually has another first name, but we won't share unless she wants to. My mother is a Howard University undergrad, Georgetown University law grad attorney who has had her own practice as long as I can remember, even though I know things happened before I existed. And mom to two, because I have an older sister. She is from, do you claim, I'm going to say she's from Virginia and then we'll dig into it in a minute. But then she moved to Texas when she met my dad at Howard University and they got married. And that is where I'm from and where she is visiting me today from. Fully vaccinated. Yay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, mommy, say hi. Hi. Your voice matters. <laughs> okay. First of all, I claim three places for you. If I meet someone from Danville, Virginia, Martinsville, Virginia, or Greensboro, North Carolina, I say, that's where my mom is from. That's right. But what it, what's the story? I was born in Martinsville, Virginia. Okay. And my mom was from Danville, Virginia. Okay. Which was only 30 miles away. Okay. So. Fair. And I graduated from high school in Greensboro, North Carolina, because that's like really close too. It's mm. it's only about 40 miles from, from Martinsville, actually. Did you all actually live in Greensboro or you just went to school in Greensboro because it was so close? No, no. We... Well, my father, your grandfather. Yes, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> he was a instructor at A&T. North Carolina A&T, HBCU. Yes. Okay. And he taught chemistry for 25 years at uh, North Carolina A&T mm-hmm. State University. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And so we moved to Greensboro. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. All right. So I got sidetracked a little bit. My question to you to begin because now we're officially, officially beginning, is who has taught you the most about love? Good or bad, whatever whatever that looks like, but who in your life has taught you the most about love? Well, these are so deep. These are deep questions <laughs> here, but um, many people have taught me about love, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the stage I, in my life. Do I but, hear my children screaming? I just, if um, I do, then apologies to y'all. Yeah, I kind of do hear your grandkids. I really believe that I would go back to my grandmother Mm -hmm. who taught me about love because she was the first person who uh, really I really connected with. Mm -hmm. And she raised us, Mm -hmm. as you know, after my mom died, along with with my father. But she really she raised you with your father after your mom passed. It sounded like your dad as well. But grandfather was uh was around for a very long time. Yes, he was. Okay. Uh, and so I think that my grandmother actually taught me the most about love because I learned about love uh, as a child. Yeah. To always um, believe in love. Yeah. And uh, show love to others. Yeah. And and what was it like, out of curiosity, because I don't think I've ever asked you this, So the and I always forget. So the, my great-grandmother who raised you, was your was my grandfather's mother. Yes. Okay. Yes. What kind of sacrifices did she have to make to raise two little girls? Well, that was really a lot because um she was like uh, about 60 years old when my mom died and we were like 7 and 8 mm-hmm. and uh she took over and and raised us and the sacrifices included having to be the primary parent yeah. when my father was in he had to go to back to college to get an additional degree mm-hmm. so we she took care of us just almost completely yeah. for a number of years yeah. uh and dad would come home on the weekends from greensboro yeah but she had to make sacrifices such as she had to forego her life and getting married again mm-hmm. um she had a lot of suitors <laughs> but she had to like Tell them I cannot, I can't marry you. I've got to, I've got to be here for these children yeah. or the girls. Wow. It's two daughters. Yes, you know so. my sister and I, are the daughters, and and my, you're the older sister. Yes, mm-hmm. and I have an older sister. 
Yes. Who's five and a half years older. Her name is Lee. You are currently drinking coffee from a coffee mug with both of our faces on it. Yes. Man, I have so many questions for you, but also like, so I, I might be a little nervous. Don't be. Don't be. You don't be. Um. Okay. So my grandmother taught you the most about love. I mean, and then it evolved. I mm-hmm. mean, because I learned a lot about love from um, your dad. Yeah. You know, we were married for 20 years. Yeah. Through it all. So my parents met in college at Howard and then married, had two kids. He was a doctor and she was a lawyer or is a lawyer. And um, you guys started, essentially started your own businesses together. Not together as one, but I mean, like he was, him and my grandfather had the Brooks Family Practice Clinic in Fort Worth, Texas. And you had your own law firm at some point. Obviously, you had jobs before that. And so we were both entrepreneurs together. Raising two girls, my dad, as I've shared, was an alcoholic, which I did not see at all, but you did. And you spent 20 years married, but divorced. You guys separated when I was like 11. What lessons, frankly, specifically, did you learn about love through that relationship? You chose to get divorced because you wanted, you know, you wanted change and he wasn't willing to make change. Correct. So just talk about it a little bit. Well, you know, we we got married very young. Yeah. Um, How old were you? I was 23 and um, your dad was 24. Mm -hmm. And he had just graduated from medical school Mm -hmm. at 24. Mm -hmm. And I was in law school at the time. So we just, you know, we just fell in love. We got married and but we had a lot of responsibility in terms of our um, our education. And so that was. It was difficult, but, yeah. you know, we got through it and we moved to Fort Worth, Texas after after uh, I finished uh, Georgetown Law School. Mm-hmm. Was he at Howard Medical School at the same time that you were in Georgetown Law School? Or like who was first out? Well, you, you know, your dad. I mean, your dad was, um, let me see, when I was a first year student in law school, your dad was in his uh, last year of medical school. Got it. And then he had to do uh, a residency as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he um, he got out of school first. He was several years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But just speaking to the love, and I don't mean like, you know, for me, it's not about the flowery stuff. Like, sure, that's part of it. But what we learn in relationships is all kinds of things, right? How to love ourselves better, how to set boundaries, how to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I just want to understand from you what about love, good or bad, did you learn in that relationship that you have taken into your life? Well, that you have to always consider someone, you know, your partner's needs. Mm -hmm. And if you are committed to the relationship, if you are in love Mm -hmm. with the other person, then you want to be a part of their life in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And especially being supportive of of their of them and what they need in their life. Yeah. And as a physician, I mean that's a that was a very very demanding yeah. profession. And I had I just worked, you know, I worked as a government lawyer, so I had like, you know, regular hours and all that at first. Mm-hmm. But I was able to help your dad with his practice in terms of always trying to to talk to the patients when they would call on the phone like himself. Uh, which doc? You, is that what you're saying? Or you would talk to the patient? I talk to the patients. <laughs> I have to sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, just just try to be helpful. I mean, you know, he insisted on having the having a published number. And so I, we talked to patients all the time. It was a 24-7 job, really. So that had, took a lot of love, honey. Yeah, no, for sure. To do that. But I also, you know, I always wanted to make sure that he... I knew what was important to him. Mm-hmm. Like, he wanted to come home to a cook you know, home cooked meal. And so I cooked a lot. What? Um, you see, you, you'd want to act like you forgot about everything. I did forget. But Carry on I about cooked, cooking. I cooked at least four or five days a week and nobody wanted leftovers, but he enjoyed that. That was a love to him. There's different ways that people express love, of course. And for mm-hmm. him, it was um, doing things for him, yeah. such as preparing yeah. dinner at night. He yeah. always wanted me to do what your grandmother did, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't stay at home. That's the only other thing I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. I had to work. I really wanted to work. Uh, but I always wanted to make sure that he was taken care of and yeah. that you all were taken care of. 
And I, I mean, I used to buy all his clothes, Lee, Cody. Yes. That's what I do. I call both of them. <laughs> Lee, I mean Cody, or Cody, I mean Lee. That's yes. my sister. So, yeah, I would buy all of his clothes. I pay all of the bills, just allowing him to practice medicine uh, uninterrupted. Yeah. Um, wow. That was my goal, and he appreciated it. Yeah. Man, we could certainly go down a path of sacrifice because basically hearing you say that. You know, and then knowing ultimately how difficult it was when he was dealing with alcohol, you know, for you to help keep it, just keep him operating, you know, working, hiding it when needed. You know, I can, I just, I'm sure you very much felt unappreciated. I mean, you I had felt, to do a lot. I felt overwhelmed. Yeah. In yeah, many circumstances, yeah. it was very overwhelming because the because I had to make sure yeah. that you all were okay. Yeah. Even though I had to deal with him yeah. and not being no, able to, he was not being responsive possibly to yeah. the hospital yeah. or to patients. So I'm on the phone with the hospital. I'm on yeah. the phone with the yeah. patients. While and, you you have on your own business. You weren't a stay-at-home mom. No. And I mean, I used to tell my employees at my office, I said, look, it's five o'clock. I'm going home to my real job. No. <laughs> because my real job was taking care of my children yeah. and my husband. Yeah. And quite honestly, he required as the years pro you know, progressed a lot more care because yeah. I had to make sure that he didn't do anything that would have, uh, adversely affect his practice. Yeah. Okay. So I can't stress enough. And I speak for me, you can certainly comment that, you know, my dad, you, you all got divorced. Um, I was young enough that I didn't really see anything that you're talking about, the good or the bad. Sorry. <laughs> well, good. But, I did a good job there. You did. I feel like I did a good job. But, that, but that when you all got divorced um, and I found out that he, you know, was an alcoholic and that he was going to rehab, I had no idea. And for me, my sister went to college and then I was then like, like shuttled from house to house, right? Of course, visiting dad, visiting mom. And I got to spend a lot of time with you all individually. I always say that, you know, I got to know my parents as individuals, probably at a time where like you were not growing up, but like you were coming into a completely different space of who each of you was. And I feel very fortunate for that. I have no idea what it felt like from your side, but but my I do want to say I can't stress enough how, you know, we were talking about a very difficult time, but my dad, you know, my dad then got sober. I have an amazing, I had an amazing relationship with him. My dad passed away when I was 29, but that I wanted to talk about it from your perspective, but I want to make sure that it's clear that we're not dogging Dr. Oh, no. Dr. Brooks. But from your perspective, what, whew, I have a lot of questions well, for me. you. Just yes. I can't me. even like go all the things. So, me, you know, I, I, in retrospect and very quickly, I, you know, realized how, fortunate and unique it was for me to to be with you guys in this way. You know, it sucked at first. I'm like, my sister's gone. My parents are divorced. And I just got to be here going from house to house, pretending that I'm okay with it. But ultimately it was, you know, a gift. And I know that I'm, I know that fully, but like from your perspective, I know that getting divorced wasn't what you wanted, right? You made a choice no. that you, well, you made the best choice that, that, you know, you could for yourself. Was there a point that you felt like you hit a stride, like you felt in a positive place personally, or even like saw the gifts that came from how life had changed. I understand it was not all gifts, but I want to, I want to try to pull out, you know, anything positive that you feel that experience and how your life, our lives all individually changed after the divorce. You know, I'm a very optimistic person. Yeah. And I, I'm always going to try to make things better, mm -hmm. regardless of what the circumstances are. And, you know, as a lawyer, I take care of people mm -hmm. and their problems. So the divorce was something that had to happen at that particular time. Right. I, I thought it would wake him up. Yeah. It eventually did, but it was after we were divorced. Yeah. Because um, we were separated for a while. But um, from a positive standpoint, it gave me an opportunity to feel like a whole person yeah. instead of uh, bifurcated through all these different roles that I had. So after the divorce, I, you know, that, that was helpful to me. Yeah. Uh, and then your sister went to college. 
Yeah. And so she wasn't around, but you were. And um, <laughs> and I did worry about, you know, the fact that you were going back and yeah. forth. But you always had an optimistic point of view as well. And you always at least acted like it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I um, I did the best I could to, to make it palatable to you and your sister. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is to never, never speak negatively about your father. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I always stress that to others too. Don't ever talk about your children's um, yeah. dad or mom uh, negatively after a divorce because it just hurts. It, yeah. it really, it's hurtful. It's yeah. not a loving thing yeah. to do. And I would say if, if ever, I mean, this is my little two cents, if ever speaking honestly <laughs> seems negative, do it when when you know your child is going to understand, right? Like, I feel like we've had a lot of conversations as I became an adult, but also it was after all of this time of me getting to know you and getting to know him and also the kind of person that I am that, like, I look at people as, like, a whole person. And so we are able to have conversations about things that happened that will never change how I view him, you know, or, you know, or you, because... I get it. Like we grown, y'all grown. Well, you know, we were so young when we got married. Yeah. I mean, I had just graduated from college and I was in my first year of law school, which yeah. is extremely demanding. Yeah. And he was in his, he had just finished medical school. Yeah. And going into a, a residency, which was extremely demanding. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't really have like fun 20s, you know, we were like serious, ser- yeah. super serious trying to get our goals to achieve yeah. our goals. Okay. What was the most fun time in your life? Whether you were 20 or 40 or 60, what period was like the roaring something for you? Well, there were actually two. Okay. 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 <laughs> two. <laughs> One is being at Howard University. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. For the actual entire four years. Yes. <laughs> The best. Nice. Oh, I love the that. The best. Okay. What's the other Totally, one? incredibly outstanding time in my life. Mm-hmm. It it really did change me. Mm-hmm. It made me uh, a stronger, more feeling fearless. Yeah. Feeling mm-hmm. like you can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. And so I was a real studious person too. Yeah. So I had goals. I, I wanted to graduate Phi Beta Kappa mm-hmm. and I wanted to graduate at least magna cum laude. Mm-hmm. At least. So you did all that and still had an amazing, wonderful, fun time. I think so. <laughs> Some people said, well, you know, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't stay up late and play cards all night or yeah. anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was studying and stuff. I just had goals that I wanted to achieve. That was an outstanding time, really. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful time. Because that's when you really get to know yourself. Yeah. And then the other time was after I had accomplished a lot of goals in in my professional life, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was able to have a second home mm-hmm. in uh, South I Beach. You might uh, say that Fisher Island was amazing. Yeah, it was that time just amazing. So yeah. at that time, I was in high school. So my mom had a you know we're living in Fort Worth, Texas. My mom had a place in Fisher Island, Florida, and I was in high school. And I just remember you were there a lot, not in a bad way. It was great. Like you were there a lot. It was a kind of a fun place for me to go whenever. It was the first time I remember having like a Thanksgiving from the standpoint of we didn't have a tradition, right? We'd go wherever we went. As long as there's family, it's fine. But like, I know that Fisher Island, Florida was where we had Thanksgiving quite a few times. And typically I want to say New Year's Eve too. Yeah. But yeah, that was, and that was for me, actually high school and college that we would do that. And me and my girls would come down from Howard and go Mm -hmm. down to the beach whenever we wanted, which was really nice. So I agree. That was the roaring Fisher Island days. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll take it. We have to make sure you have some more of those. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Okay. So I want to talk about something else that tickles me about you, which is, let's see, how do we bring this up? So when I was, I don't even know when I knew this. I'm sure my sister was like the master investigator. But at a certain point in my life, it became almost clear that you were hiding something from me and my sister. And it became a fun game to sort of try to catch you, which is that you enjoy marijuana. 
I have. Yes. And I still do. <laughs> yes. From time to time. Absolutely. And yeah, it's very calming. It's I'm glad I'm gl- listen at the end of the day. I'm glad that it makes you happy. It's funny to me, I think, because like when I was in college, of course, everybody tries something. So that was something that we tried. Maybe we made brownies or something. And my mom made like a casual comment that was like, why would you put good weed inside of brownies? Right. And, and I remember that. You remember that? <laughs> no, we, I don't. You don't remember that? That was like the thing that maybe started it all because we were like, what you know about what to do with it? But it became this thing where my my sister used to try to like find it in the house so she could take it. But like also we just wanted to like catch you. Right. And after a while, we just knew like we it was it we would either we'd be in the house and we'd smell it and then we go to her room and suddenly it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just became fun and funny to to try to to try to catch you. And I remember one time like you literally like put it under the bed in your room. And Lee was like, mom, like, don't let your whole house catch on fire. We already know. (laughs) So I'm just curious, you know, when you started that, I'm assuming college, whatever you're comfortable saying, Mm -hmm. but when you started that, talk to me about the vibe. I mean, that was like, everybody was doing like, what's, what's the situation in whatever year that was? When were you in college? Oh, uh, early seventies, early Mm seventies. Yeah. I was. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, that's what everybody was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was at least trying marijuana, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, what you didn't want to do is get caught up in any of those yeah. drugs. Uh, which caught I, up like you don't want to become addicted or become like you don't want it to hinder your life. Uh, in interfere with your goals. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I certainly didn't let it interfere with my goals. And I mean, it was a very casual sale. Very sa- I didn't do it very often. Mm-hmm. When I was in, especially my first two years, I was like really like totally studious and stuff. I barely did anything out of it. Uh, Who introduced ordinary. you to it? Oh, let's see. Oh, some guys in D.C. <laughs> that I met. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so anyway, we used to hang out at their house. Yeah. Um, and their dad knew they were growing it in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And their dad was... Um, a professor slash surgeon at uh, Howard. And he didn't know they were growing it in the backyard. Yeah. So anyway, they were cool guys. And I used to go over there at the house and stay with them, Mm -hmm. with the mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And I almost moved in. They were like, come on. I was like a sister. I became like a sister. (laughs) And so we we would, yeah, we would, um, that's when I really got introduced to it was when I went over to, to their house, to these guys' house. Was it something then that like you had to hide? Was it okay? First off, was it illegal then? Like, what's the? Oh well, you know, it it, it was illegal, mm-hmm. but nobody cared. I right, mean, right, right. Um, you know, people didn't get arrested for having an ounce of marijuana in their car or something, right? Until uh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And like, I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor to see the the guy who I was just talking about, how I mm-hmm. used to hang out at his uh, dad's house where they lived in DC. And so he was like a, a track star in mm-hmm. at uh, University of Michigan. And it was really different because somebody was smoking marijuana on the street and they gave the per and it was the person I was with, they gave the person a ticket. In, in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, like a little cop person was walking around. He said, hey, I got to get you a ticket. Uh-huh. Smoking marijuana. So, you know, there's students everywhere. Yeah, so yeah. what's your name? So he gave him his name and said, okay, this is your ticket. You need to pay this. Five dollars. That's what they did. Five dollars. Five dollar ticket. Okay. Well, you know, that was in uh, 1974 yeah. or something. Yeah. So, yeah, five dollar ticket. And Nobody so cared. Now it's evolved into this thing where... Black men in particular are put in jail all the time. It's used as a weapon. Yeah. To get records on all black people. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to get you, they want to arrest you, even for seeds, anything, mm. just so they can get you in the system. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they get to fingerprint you, they get to take your picture, and they get to have, you get to have a record yeah. of having some sort of offense. Right. And so if, you know, you, you get enough minor offenses- then it becomes, you know, serious. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, allegedly a serious thing. Right. I'm not gonna call it a crime, right? Because I'm not a criminal lawyer, so you know, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about criminal law. <laughs> I'm on personal the injury side. and what else? Well, I did public finances. Okay, well. okay, that's you know, right. Uh, m- municipal bond transactions. Yeah, yep. 
So um, how, how do you feel about the evolution of legalized marijuana in all of the various ways that you can? Because I don't know the difference between THC and CBD. It's funny because I just, this it's never worked for me. Like it always made me a little too anxious, a little too paranoid. So it's just not my jam. But how do you feel about all of the various ways in which you can now enjoy marijuana? I mean, I think it's long overdue. Yeah. You know, it should never have been um, illegal in the first place. And yeah. I do know the history yeah. of how the drug became illegal. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just going to say this. When my dad told me he was like like seven or eight years old and he said he knew what marijuana was because it was growing everywhere. Yeah. And people would smoke it. And nobody cared. They just pull it out of the ground and smoke it. Mm-hmm. And this was in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared. This is, you know, like maybe in the 20s or something. And, you know, they had prohibition. And then that's when people really started smoking marijuana because mm-hmm. they couldn't allegedly get alcohol. Most people could. So they would smoke marijuana. Mm-hmm. And black people and uh, American Indian people, because, you know, American Indian people would smoke marijuana many, many, many centuries. Mm-hmm. In this country. Mm-hmm. But uh, but so they ended up being the people that were selling it, black people and American Indians, and which we are also right. Native American as well. I've explained that to you. You have, but Ancestry.com tells me I am very well, little. But they don't on. keep up with American Indian um, heritage like they should. That's fair. I, I think they're getting more up to date. But they used to sell it during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. And when um, the white folk found out, you know, hey, this is a huge market out here and these black and, and brown people are making money off of it. We're going to stop it. We're going to make it illegal. Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, the government came up with some so-called expert guy who came around and said, oh, no, it's harmful. It'll yeah, make yeah. you demonic. It'll do all this nonsense. And there was a movie about reefer madness. It was yeah. supposed to scare people. Mm. Uh, I do have a copy. Of, like I have that movie too. It's like nineteen twenty nine or mm-hmm. nineteen thirty or something. It's ridiculous, but that's how marijuana became illegal. It wasn't illegal until uh, during prohibition when yeah. people were making money. Yeah, follow the money. Always follow the money. You figure out everything. Got you. So now you are enjoying uh, the popcorn, the chocolates. Maybe not the chocolates. You don't really like chocolate like that. I mean. <laughs> Okay. You know, I like she's to still share squeamish, with y'all. others. She's still squeamish. <laughs> share with others. So I'm going to, I asked the people of social media, the people, if they had any questions for you or for us. And so I'm going to go through some of those. How you feel about it? You down? Sure, okay. Sure. Here we go. Well, child, there's a lot of them too. I'm proud of y'all for asking these good questions. What are tips on raising an empathetic and loving daughter or son? child tips on raising just love always be loving i'll take it to your children yeah you don't do anything out of always do everything out of love yeah you know when they do something wrong you explain Mm -hmm. you know this is not something you can do and i love you and i must you know i must tell you that this is socially unacceptable conduct how many times did you socially unacceptable (laughs) i try so hard not to say that to brooks like, I'll say that is unacceptable, but I refuse to say that is socially unacceptable because that's what my mom said all the time. And I just don't want to, like, turn into you. Like, I love you, but I'm not trying to, you know, how people that that cliche, like, oh, you're turning into your mom. So I'm just trying to fight against. You. Oh, well, you'll eventually turn into your mom. I know. Or at least close. I should you see. OK, so how has our relationship evolved into a friendship or was that always true? What is your answer? Oh, I think we've always been on the same page, Cody. I really do. I feel you like I easy. remember you were an easy child well, to raise. You. you really were an really? easy child to raise. You did a couple of things that, you know, were a little, well, I'm like, you What'd shouldn't do? do this. And you said, no, I want to do this. I want to do this. I said, well, honey, you're going to regret doing this. Watch what? See. And you did. I don't know what I did. Uh, I you want me nothing. to tell them about about the time you put like this brown li- lipstick on your lips? What's wrong with brown? Li- I used to wear black lipstick. Is that what you mean? It must have been. Anyway, and you had on these short, short Daisy Dukes. Maybe. And you put on all this makeup on your face. And uh, I said, that is entirely too much. Where are you going? And you said, oh, I'm going with you. We're going downtown. We remember we went, so we went wait, downtown. So you didn't stop me? You were just like. I said, I don't, uh, Cody, that's too much. Mm-hmm. Take that stuff off. Mm-hmm. You're going to attract attention that you 
are not going to want to attract. Mm -hmm. You're going to be uncomfortable because mm. you're going to attract the wrong kind of attention. I said that to you. You know, and you said, I know bad. what I'm doing. I, 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 I want to look like this. I want to look like I said, okay, I'll let you do it. Mm -hmm. And boy, did you attract the wrong kind. I mean, really, there were guys and hmm. men looking, you know, turning around. It was, you felt so uncomfortable. Okay. That you didn't do that right. again. You that didn't do it again. Right. The key to let, let your kids do the thing you know is wrong so they can feel it. Every now and then. But wait, that's not the question. What did our, How did our relationship evolve into a friendship or was that always the case? I think it was um, pretty much always the case. I didn't get the impression that you were like mad with me. I feel like we fought about something. And maybe the reason that it stays in my mind is because I probably feel bad about it. What but I feel it? like, didn't we like fight? Like I remember being in my room one time and I'm, I may have, might have, this is the memory in my head. I think I kicked you. You don't remember that? No. I feel like we like Girl, if you maybe kicked not me, kicked you, and but maybe like kicked at you. I just I you have it in my head, at me, but I didn't see it. And maybe I just feel bad about it, and that's why it just stays in my mind. Like, what were we fighting about? I don't know. Okay, fine. That's not a thing. I would say my answer for that is is what I said earlier. I just felt like spending so much time alone with each of you. It was just like a requirement that like it was no longer y'all were still mom and dad. There's no part of me that feels like we were homies and I was just like, you know, doing whatever I wanted. But I just feel like there, any, any facade was just like stripped away. It was just like, we talking as, as people and not as like, I'm the boss and you're the child. I just don't, I just don't feel like that was how we communicate. You know, when, it, when you're divorced and you're trying, you know, you're raising children, you just cannot just stay away from trying to be too bossy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's um, probably the case when you're not divorced, right? Yeah. But you know, but it might be more sensitive when you are because you, you yes. just want to make sure you have that communication open. Constantly. And honey, I tried my best to have a communication open with yeah, you yeah. because I figured I figured if I had all your girlfriends around you all the time and I was around you too, I would know what was going on. <laughs> and I would drive them around and I would listen to the conversation. Yeah. I didn't say anything, but at least I knew what was yeah. going on. And then I'd let everybody spend the night all the time. I you would come home from Even work. when you weren't and there. Some people, oh, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> I know what y'all were doing. Uh, but sometimes I come to, I come home and it's, uh, Autumn is sitting in there and mm -hmm. Melanie is, is on her way and, yeah. and you all are staying for the weekend, um, yep, your yep. girlfriends. And I said, okay, fine. I said, I'd rather, ha rather have everybody here yep. under my roof than not knowing where they are I and totally where they're going. I'm, I'm trying to be that parent when my kids are old enough to have friends. Okay. Somebody said, what did you say about the quickness of my courtship with Tommy? I did think it was rather quick. So let me back up for anyone who doesn't know. Tommy <laughs> and I met September 2013. We moved in together December 1st, which I don't even know if I told you beforehand. I think I did. We moved in together December 1st and we were engaged by March. So six months till we got, you know, from meeting to getting engaged. So carry on. What did you what did you think about the quickness? Well, I did think it was rather quick. But at your age, you know, I felt like you were mature enough to make those kind of decisions I was about 30. what you wanted to do. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were 23 like I was. Yeah. And I made a decision. But I mean, me and your, you know, your dad and I, we also like met in like March and moved in together like in June. Yeah. And uh, but we didn't get married until a year later. Yeah. But uh, that's what a lot of people were doing, you know, when I was young. They were moved, you know, yeah, they lived together. Yeah. So we lived together for a year and then we did, we got married. Uh, so, I mean, but at your age, I said, you know, she knows what she's doing. And and I met Tommy mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, Tommy uh, seemed like a, a, a great guy mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. I thought it was wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how I remember it. Everybody kind of thought it was great, but he came home for Christmas. So we met September. He came home to Texas. For Christmas Eve, we have a Christmas Eve party. You had a Christmas Eve party every year. Well, we and used Tommy to have came it home for that. No, I know, but it's like um, it was your party, but I was years. for sure like the co-host as a grown-up. And so that he came home, and a lot of people got to meet him. And it was after my dad, right after my dad died, so everybody was there just trying to like be around. Um, so he got to meet everybody. How do you feel about my parenting style? Well, you're just like all the rest of these young people. They think they know how to raise children. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> and that, and that, you know, they can't like benefit from, you know, uh, 
mom and you know my mom and dad's uh, perspective on how to. That's do things. not true. Uh, but you know it's ingrained in you to uh, have your mom's perspective. I uh-huh, know that, and I, I see that in how you parent. Yeah, I really do. I think there's probably also a window, right? When when parents have like toddlers, where the grandparent is like kind of always wrong because <laughs> there is like the principles that you instill in me are there, and that's probably yes. I would say for sure how I parent my kids. But when it comes to diapers, when it comes to naps, like the minutia that is required of these little people, it's like, I love you, but that was 30 some odd years ago. (laughs) Don't be trying to tell me what to do when these kids won't go to sleep, you know? So I think that is probably what a lot of parents and grandparents run into in terms of like clashing is just the minutia of this this period. And also as a grandparent Mm -hmm. now, I just want to do everything they want mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of trying yes, to discipline Joe. them. Yes, you I want do. to just play with them. Yes, you do. <laughs> so someone has asked about like favorite lessons and things that, that you taught me. And it's funny. We talked about this recently that after Kamala was elected and she made that comment or she said it before about her mom had told her that, you know, you're going to be the first to do a lot of things in your life. Just don't be the last. Right. And I had been thinking about like, what did my parents teach me? I've thought about this many times. Like, what is what is a thing that I can say I got from my parents? There's a and and I love you guys to death. And there's so many, there's so much good and so much joy and so much I appreciate about who you both are. Um, but I don't have like a lesson, right? Or at least I didn't. Um, I thought about it recently and I came up with something, but like I didn't have like that one thing that you instilled in me. So I'll say what I now know it to be, but I want to know what, is there anything that you felt that you tried? Like one consistent thing that's like, I wanted to instill this in you guys, or even that you see now that you're just like, this is the result of my parenting or how I, you know, raised you. There's probably a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. that I tried to instill in you, including to be kind and loving to others, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First, that okay. is your first right. reaction to others is to be kind and loving. You did that. I think that you also received from your parents a very strong will to achieve mm. your goals, whatever they are, mm-hmm. and being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, your parents were both yeah. very successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And you saw it, whether you realized it or not, I believe it had a tremendous impact on how you see yourself today. Yeah. And what you were doing. Yeah. You know, we never, like your dad never had a job in his life. Mm-hmm. I did have a couple of jobs, but but I worked as a lawyer for, you know, over, well, 40 years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you saw the, the, the time, the effort, the the commitment necessary for Mm -hmm. that type of uh, perspective Mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur and you embraced it. And I'm glad that you did. I think, I think that's really the the wave of the future is to be independent contractors, you know, not to really have jobs. And you all are ahead of you and your sister are ahead of the game because you saw that Mm -hmm. you experienced that growing up Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I taught you that too. Always take, you know, to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. to be independent in that regard. So when I thought about it fairly recently, and we talked about it a little bit the last time you were here, I feel like what I got from you guys, hands down, and there's no one thing. It's no. like literally, no, I mean, there's no one thing that did this. And it was literally like how you operated, what you exude, who you are. But it's like, my commitment to black people. That is what I got from you all. Yes. I, I say black excellence because between Howard and the HBCU connection and my dad having a family practice clinic that serviced the black community specifically to the point that, you know, there were times that he and my grandfather didn't even take money because it was like, we gonna help black people. And if they sick, they need care. And, you know, I, I know that you, you as a lawyer, you know, most of your clients were also black. And then the fact that you were on the board of Howard for 18 years, like just the frankly, like the blackity blackness of that without even saying, hey, this is what we do. 
I feel like that is the biggest takeaway for me that I didn't even realize because it's not like you said anything like, I mean, you you did, that's not true. You all said many things over the years, but I would just say it was so much that it was like breathing, right? It was like, here's your lunch, love black people. <laughs> you know, like it was just that straightforward. And so that's what I realized. I mean, I can't, I don't have a cute line for it, like Kamala and her mom, but like, that's what I feel like has been so, it became so clear to me fairly recently. Well, yeah. And you know, somebody said something to me recently and they said, you know, in hindsight, would you have raised your children differently? Mm-hmm. Because you never even had a black teacher until you went to Howard University. Right. I went to private schools my whole life, which I hated, but I was in Jack and Jill, thankfully. Yes. That's why you were in Jack and Jill. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, did grow up that way. And so we were always trying to make sure yeah. that you and your sister were exposed to Black world, yeah. Because you came from Black world, and yeah. we are of Black world. Mm-hmm. And your dad never went to school with any with anybody other than Black people yeah. his entire life. Yeah, you know. So we decided we needed to educate you all, inform yeah. you, make yeah. you comfortable with your blackness at yeah. home. And yeah. we did that, I think, very well. As and continued it, even though we were divorced. Um, you know, through the black art, for instance. I yeah. mean, you were always exposed to black art. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, my parents collected and collect mm-hmm. um, art, but it was always by black artists. There was just absolutely never, I mean, I can't think of nary a piece of nothing in the houses, your house, his house, that uh, was by a non black artist. And if it was, it was someone of color, right? The Brito. Yes. Yeah. The, we had a. What's uh, Brito? I want to uh, say Brazilian. Brazilian. Yeah. And um, we had some Native American art mm-hmm. as well, but mm-hmm. mostly African American, the greats, yeah, the great painters, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. That just that stands out for me um, as key. So, you are my mama. You are my BFF. A couple of questions that I love to ask, just as a you know, to get to know you beyond the persona, which is I think publicly lawyer, you know. I would say, I don't want to say educator, you're not educator, but you you have a commitment to education, right? So hence you're being on the board of Howard for almost 20 years. So a couple of questions just to get to know you in a different way. I probably know the answer, but you all don't. What does joy look like to you today? Not today, like Friday, but today, like in your life, in this current life. Well, you know, I decided my other name was Joy. Yes, you did. <laughs> so I want to be called Joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, Joy is, is my family. And my family, meaning you and and your husband, you and Tommy, and Aristotle and Langston and <laughs> Brooks, as well as your sister mm-hmm. and her husband, Chris. Mm-hmm. And Gavin and Caleb and Dylan, mm-hmm. six grandsons and two wonderful daughters and two wonderful son-in-laws. I am blessed. And, Aunt and that is my joy. And my sister. <laughs> Don't let me forget <laughs> my no, sister. Uh, Sissy. Yes. Charmian. Yes, Charmian, which is also your mom's name, and Sissy's name, I'm going to put her whole name on blast, Charmian Elaine Higginbotham, and my middle name is also Elaine, and y'all have an Aunt Elaine, who is your grandmother's sister, so I love family Your grandmother's sister. My grandmother's sister, yes, of course. Your mama's sister. And I really love that about my name and our names, and it's part of why Brooks's name, I mean, it's part of why. My son is named Brooks, which is my maiden name. And his middle name, as well as all of my children's middle name, is Edward, which is Tommy's middle name. So we just out here (laughs) have the same names. Okay, so what failure have you learned the most from in your life? Well, I have tried to reinvent myself so many times in different ways professionally. Not even tried. You have. I really have. Mm-hmm. And and there have been failures associated with that. Yeah. And you know, you're you know, you you pursue certain areas in your profession and it doesn't work. And so you just go on, you try something else. Mm-hmm. But the failures have taught me to believe in myself and continue to try new things, new and different things. And that's what I I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I okay. have no regrets. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. So what 
can you do today that you were not capable of five years ago? Physically, emotionally, whatever. But what are you, what are you capable of today that you were not capable of five years ago? Five years ago. Oh, you know, I can get into a long thing about all this, you know, about uh, letting go of ego. Mm, uh, I think your ego follows you all your life and it harms you. Mm -hmm. It can destroy you. Letting go of ego and having more humility Mm -hmm. and understanding that nothing is perfect Mm -hmm. and never will be and enjoy the journey. There really is no destination. Mm -hmm. And just let go, let go, let God. You know, every day I wake up and I say, you know, God, I'm very grateful. I want to always be grateful. And I'm grateful because I woke up Mm -hmm. today and I feel good and I have no pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've had health challenges Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And that caught, you know, that gives me joy in my life, Mm -hmm. but just having an open, loving heart is what I pray for every day. Okay. That's a good thing to pray for and remind ourselves to, uh, and don't judge. That's another thing. Yeah. You know, as a lawyer, you're taught to judge. Yeah. You're constantly judging everything. Mm-hmm. It's and that's your profession. But I try not to do that. Judge everything. Yeah. And let go of the ego because mm-hmm. judging and your ego go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And your ego will kill you if you let if it gets too out of whack. It really will. Mm-hmm. It'll destroy you internally. I have a question. You grew up in in the fifties. You were born in the fifties. Put it that mm-hmm. way. So you grew up in probably the sixties. What does it feel like to you to see the progress or lack thereof in how Black people are treated in America? Well, I see it as a, a terrible um, progression of events that should never have happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like, I, I believe we were very sheltered uh, mm-hmm. when we were growing up because we were we lived in a segregated environment. So we had right. very little interaction with uh, with white people, yeah, we we became accustomed to the colored entrances and the colored water fountains and that sort of thing, and we were never confronted with racism really, unless we interacted with those people. Mm-hmm. So it was a very sheltered situation. I think people in general were more tolerant of each other. You know, that's from my perspective. But I was very sheltered growing mm-hmm. up. I mm-hmm. really feel that way. Well, people were more tolerant of each other, and you were accustomed to you know colored this and colored that. You were accustomed to colored this and colored that, but there were there was still lynching in the fifties. There, there were, at the very least, the KKK was busy. There was KKK, but uh-huh. I mean, they came to Martinsville one time and they passed out flyers. Yeah, but I they mean, were bold and busy. We didn't. We weren't fearful. Yeah, but I just mean when you when you look at where we are now, does it feel like progress? No. No, it doesn't, especially with respect to how black people have been treated. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed like, you know, you had the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and it seemed like things were opening up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we could now go to restaurants and hotels and all these places because growing up, we couldn't do that. I mean, you you go on a trip, you carried your food with you and you sat, you know, on the side of the road and ate your food. Yeah. Uh, and you couldn't stay in any hotels because we and we would go north and everything was different. Like we're in the north now, mm-hmm. you know, but um, that all changed with uh, integration. And that's when the friction started. And it just seems like uh, the war on so-called war on drugs was a facade just to arrest black people, mm-hmm. incarcerate black people, keep black people from achieving yeah. and, and being considered equal to white people. I yeah. mean, it's. I believe it was it was the, it was set up that way to the war on drugs to to get black people incarcerated. Yeah. Take them out of the the system so to speak so they, you know, you didn't have to worry about them getting any jobs or anything. You can't work, you know, you you're yeah. expelling, they take your right. boat away. All of this is new. All of this is new yeah. and the way police treat black people yeah. now is not like they did before, not according to my perspective yeah. and what I saw. So how do we as parents, right, me as mom, how do we have hope? Like, what is the feeling that you held on to while parenting for the last 
how old is my sister? 42? For the last 42 or three years. Ooh, child, you've been a parent for a long time. I've been a parent but, for a long But what time. is that feeling for you, knowing that your children are in this world that is continuously racist and it does not seem every pro everything that looks like progress is fake <laughs> or or two steps forward and three steps back how do we parent amidst this well it's up to you mm -hmm. to instill in your children mm -hmm. belief in themselves yeah and never give up mm -hmm. and to continue to be optimistic mm -hmm. with your eyes wide open like I said, believe in yourself and, and be strong in terms of your commitments to certain ideals that you have and do not let anyone put you down or, and, and it's, yeah. you know, it seems yeah. hard right now and all that, but you know what, you know, let's face it. Black folk been in this, in this country since 1619 and it's been hard ever yeah. since then. Yeah. So everybody had, I mean, I would have, I would hate to have lived in the, in the 1800s mm -hmm. and been a slave or even after the civil war, it was horrific. Mm -hmm. And I will say my grandmama was born in 1899 and she used to tell us, she said, girl, I have forgot more than you ever going to know. Cause she saw so much stuff mm -hmm. that she didn't even, you know, we were sheltered. She wanted to make sure we didn't have to know about this or yeah. this to happen to you Be yeah. because they you know, they used to rape women, a lot yeah. of black women. That's some, you know, they would just pick you up, rape you, put you down and hear you, you know, it's awful what they did to people back mm -hmm. in doing segregation. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's hard to say that it's all that better now, but it really, it really is. But you have to, you have to instill in your children a belief in themselves and hope that yeah. things will get better yeah. and they will. Yeah. They will one day. They yeah. get better and then they, you know, like you said, sometimes it's a regression involved, but come on. At least it's still better than it used to be. Yeah. It really is <laughs> better than it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have to end on a on a positive note, which is that I appreciate you as my mama. I'm glad that that you chose me or I chose you or however <laughs> people think that that goes. And I am just grateful for you and you're, you are my BFF. You are. We talk all the time and I just love you. And um, thank you for making yourself vulnerable enough to sit here and do this podcast. <laughs> and thank you to you all for listening. Uh, I hope everyone has a wonderful Mother's Day and can show some love and appreciation for their mom or them give themselves grace as moms or if you have a strained or you know a strained relationship with your mom that you can simply appreciate the gift that is life that mama gave us that's wonderful cody <laughs> thanks y'all that's wonderful and you are my bff too oh and you always will be and i love you so much thank you mommy i love you all right, y'all, let us know who you'd like to see as my new BFF by leaving a review. Don't forget to follow the podcast and leave a review. You can even tell us who you want to be my next new BFF. Also, watch Black Love season five Fridays in May and June on OWN. It premieres Friday, May 14th.